Welcome to Indie Matters, the show from the Nevada Independent. I'm your host, Joey Lovato, up here in Reno. And I'm reporter and producer Jacob Solis down in Las Vegas. On this week's episode, I look into the labor shortage that Nevada is facing, as well as talk to someone who left one industry and is currently looking for work in a new industry. Afterward, we share a condensed version of an interview several Nevada Independent staff members conducted in April with Republican Dean Heller, who's running for governor. It's part of a series of candidate interviews we'll be sharing here in the weeks leading up to the primary election. At the end of the show, we have a collaboration with our friends over at CityCast Las Vegas talking about the foster care system in Nevada as a surge of infants enters the system this year. When I walk down the streets in Reno, I see a ton of where hiring signs in storefronts and restaurant windows. Nevada was hit hard by the pandemic. At the beginning of the pandemic in 2020, the statewide unemployment rate soared from around 4% to 28.5%, almost 14% higher than the unemployment rate for the country. Now, more than two years later, those numbers have stabilized and dropped to around 5% as of April 2022. And employers are finding it more challenging to recruit workers. There have been a steady stream of job fairs across the state this spring, with some employers hiring people on the spot. It all signals a shortage of workers in the labor market. So in the Reno market area, there's about 11,000 job postings a month that are uh, coming up across all industries, public and private sector, and those are from entry level all the way up to senior level positions. You contrast that with the fact there's about 7,000 people that are on unemployment. So there's certainly more job openings than those receiving unemployment, and there's more opportunities than there are people. That was Nancy McCormick, the Senior Vice President of Retention, Expansion, and Workforce at EDON, the Economic Development Authority of Western Nevada. They focus mainly on the Reno Sparks area. I want to know how the labor market, you know, has changed over the past two years from your perspective. Well, there's a lot of people that left the market during COVID that have not returned, and they've not returned for a variety of reasons. The home responsibilities are really keeping people from coming back to work in terms of childcare and other caregiver responsibilities. People that were impacted are tending to reevaluate what they were doing prior to COVID. They're really thinking about whether they want to do something different with their lives and whether there's a better occupation. Perhaps it might need a little bit of upskilling or they might need a little bit of additional education to do it. So I've been here in Vegas for 25 years. And for the last 20 years, I've been everything from a server, bartender, to a manager. That was just my industry, but January just started to want to do something else. That was Kenneth Chapman. Like many, he decided to join the so-called Great Resignation, a phenomenon that describes record numbers of people leaving their jobs during the pandemic. This has been especially noticed in food service, restaurant work, hospitality, retail, and warehouse jobs, industries that traditionally have lower wages. I knew I needed a shift. I went to UNLV. I got my degree in communications. I really enjoyed my technical writing and professional writing classes, and there's a need for them. So I decided to expand my education to leave the restaurant industry and try to find a new position. So over the last four months now, since I last worked, during that time I've been applying for different technical writing jobs. It's a little more difficult for me since I'd never had that title, but I do have some experience. It's just a matter of finding somebody that's willing to take a chance on me at the moment. 
the great resignation, right? Right. A lot of people were leaving their jobs because of the pandemic, but also other factors, including the, the economic impacts and mm -hmm. fallouts of the pandemic. Are we still seeing that great resignation or is that waning a little bit? I would say it's still lingering as people redefine not only what type of work they want to do, but what type of environment they want to be in. So there's still this trend toward work in the office, work at home, work remotely versus being in the office five days a week. This exposed all these people to the fact that there are alternatives the majority of the jobs I'm applying for or able to apply for are remote jobs where the company's actually out of state. But I would be able to work here in Nevada. There's been a growth of people looking for white-collar work, which isn't necessarily the type of jobs advertised at job fairs or elsewhere in Reno and Las Vegas. Warehouse-oriented jobs, for instance, are in high demand. Monies that have come into these municipalities to invest in infrastructure, they need the people to design it and they need the people to build it. And so all of that is really in play right now, which goes back to if you really want a job, you should be able to find one. Now, the, the important thing, too, though, is that many of these jobs really require a strong foundation in science, technology, engineering, and math. They're knowledge jobs. There's critical thinking required. They need that STEM foundation in order to be able to perform the advanced functions of some of these jobs. So that's where people may need to really invest in a little bit of additional education or training in order to be able to qualify for some of the jobs. There seems to be a mismatch between all the skill sets that are needed with these positions and the skill set of some of the people that are unemployed looking for work. Kenneth also told me about his time working in the restaurant business and what the conditions were like that ultimately drove him to leave. Well, it got to the point that it was really hard to keep people because a lot of the practices that were done in the past just weren't flying anymore. Things like overworking people during hours, uh, not giving breaks, paying minimum wage plus tips. And so there's all these people that just decided they weren't going to take that anymore. Kenneth is not alone. Many people jumped ship looking for better opportunities or better working environments, which in turn is putting pressure on employers to rise to the occasion. When you're talking to employers, are, are, are you hearing anything? Like, what's the struggles that they're dealing with trying to find workers? We hear that they're having to work harder at finding the right people. They're having to focus more on their culture to make sure they're keeping the people that they have. Because it's such a competitive market, the retention of employees is as important or more important than the hiring of employees and the cost that is associated with the loss of employees and all of that, the retraining. It's just really important that they keep what they've got. One way that the hospitality industry in Las Vegas has been trying to attract employees is with job fairs. Reporter Diane Ohm went to a job fair back in April and talked with Clark County Commissioner Jim Gibson, who spoke to the press about the job fair. We're here to tell you that if you haven't looked for a job in a while, you may be surprised with what you'll find this time around. In many cases, wages have increased, and many employers continue to offer hiring bonuses, some as high as $1,500 just to take the job. With the cost of living on the rise, now is the time to find a well-paying job. Gibson said the last job fair they had in the fall had about 14,000 jobs, and 3,000 of them were filled. Well, the job market is 
interestingly pretty strong and strong in terms of there are lots of openings what we've tried to do is focus people on what they got to pay to fill those jobs i asked kenneth if he had looked into job fairs or other programs put on by the state to help people find work like a lot of the places that i went to the only way they, they were help is like oh let's build your resume and then i would build my resume and they were like you're way too qualified for anything that we have <laughs> and so it's like okay so at this point i can only do it on my own there's people that are needed on all levels and it's not saying that that job isn't important it's that if you have the education and you're trying to get something that's more white collar they don't have resources for you Here's Nancy McCormick again, talking about in-demand jobs in northern Nevada. Jobs posting in healthcare, jobs in manufacturing, retail starting to come back, professional scientific and technology, transportation and warehousing. These are some of the top industries in northern Nevada that we're seeing job postings in. While looking at the job market, the rising cost of living is also something to consider. Gas is at an all-time high, and groceries are getting more and more expensive. How does uh, inflation play into all of this? People need to find higher wage jobs to keep up with the cost of fuel and the cost of housing and the cost of childcare. In one respect, it's influencing people's choices to have them pursue higher wage occupations and perhaps additional education because they're going to have to to be able to afford all those things. It's also, though, influencing people's decisions to stay home because if they have to pay for all sorts of other support services, it may be more costly for them to work than it is for them to stay at home and care for their family. What are employers doing to kind of incentivize people to come and and, and work for them? So there's a variety of things that they're doing. Certainly investing more in marketing for talent, investing in their culture, and making sure that they clearly articulate why they're such a great place to work. It's not uncommon practice anymore to see companies offering sign-in bonuses. We didn't used to see many billboards around Reno advertising job opportunities, but we do now. So I went on to Indeed.com, a website that many companies use to look for prospective employees. You've probably been on Indeed if you've been looking for work or people to hire recently. In a 25-mile radius of me in Reno, 13,501 jobs came up. When I added a filter to look for jobs offering $50,000 or more, that number went to 3,900 jobs. You cannot live comfortably on the $50,000 a year income that you might have had five years ago, probably most places in the country, and Nevada's not an exception from that. This story was reported, produced, and edited by me, Joey Lovato, with additional help from Jackie Valley and Diane Ohm. All right, well, over the past few weeks, we've been conducting uh, some editorial board interviews with candidates that are running for office here in the state of Nevada. (laughs) That's right. Uh, This week, we'll bring you one of those interviews we did in April with former Senator Dean Heller, who's running to be the Republican nominee for governor. He faces several primary opponents, and if he wins, he'll most likely face off against incumbent governor Steve Sisolak. Yeah, and this interview, it has been trimmed down a little bit. Uh, It was about an hour long. We cut it down to about 10 minutes here for you. So if you want to find the whole thing, you can find that on our YouTube channel. In this interview, you're going to hear editor Elizabeth Thompson and assistant editors Riley Snyder and Michelle Rendells, who are asking the questions. 
you have said that you want to cut the sales tax. Correct, by correct. 20 to 25%. That's correct. And you know that that's a huge part of the general fund. 50%. Yeah. Are you <laughs> I do know. concerned about what that's going to do to your ability if you're elected governor to create a state budget with that steep of a cut? Well, here's, here's the bottom line is right now we have inflation. And uh, I, I don't know if those on the panel understand this, but if you have um, a uh, if you have a product you want to buy for hundred dollars and the sales tax at five percent, you pay five five cents or five dollars for that uh, sales tax on that hundred dollar product. But if you go back the next day and it's one hundred twenty dollars because of inflation, now you're paying six dollars. I'm telling you right now, government loves inflation. The reason they love inflation, inflation is because their coffers grow. And it's burgeoning at all levels in government right now because of inflation across this country. All I want to do is get this burden off the backs of hardworking Nevada taxpayers. Why should they, who are struggling today, have to pay to grow the size of government during a recessionary period and a period of inflation? That's where we're talking about the 20-25%. They're getting growth. This government is growing and it's growing fast. And uh, I don't think this is a period of time to be doing that. You've also said you want to cut the state general fund yes, yes. by 20%, Correct. but you want to spare the public safety workforce. Correct. Correct. How do you plan to do that? Uh, I mean, are you thinking about layoffs of 20% of the state workforce? How is this going to work? Well, we'll take a look at it right now. Um, I mean, if you go to public safety right now, probably 40 to 40% of their, their, their positions are open, 40% of them. I'll bet you if you go to Dieter, you go to uh, uh, DMV, you go to Department of Transportation, and look at the amount of openings that they have right now. I think if you, if you didn't fill them, you'd probably get to that 20%. So I don't think it would be that difficult. Nobody's ever done it. I'm talking tax cuts here. I provided tax cuts at the federal level. When was the last time Nevadans actually received relief? Relief from their, from, from their tax burden here in the state of Nevada. In my lifetime, I don't think it's happened. You know, other Republican-led states such as Oklahoma have passed bills that have banned abortion entirely outside of medically necessary yeah. purposes. Is that something you'd want to pursue or support? Well, I'll just say I want the most uh, aggressive uh, pro-life legislation that I could pass in this legislature. What is your plan to work you know, around or with the voter initiative that was passed in 1990 that puts these yeah, protections yeah. on abortion in Nevada? Yeah, I think that uh, I, I understand that there are certain restrictions. Obviously, I'll sit down with an attorney general. Hopefully, it's a Republican attorney general to find out how far we can go. Um, I'm going to guess a lot of this gets challenged in courts, and frankly, uh, that's probably where it should end up at the end of the day. But the bottom line is, is that I'll support uh, the most conservative piece of legislation that's pro-life uh, oriented uh, that I can get passed through, through through the legislative session. Do you think Nevada's public school teachers are underpaid? We've yes. got a. You do. I do. Sure. How, as governor, cutting 20% of the budget would right, you be? Right addressing that. No, and, and, and I think it's a fair question, but I do believe that if you, I mean, you just concentrate on cuts, cuts, cuts. The whole purpose is of, of, uh, of changing the dynamics of our tax code and cutting the size of government is for an economy to grow. That's what this is all about. This is about economic growth. This is vitality. This is trying to move the, uh, uh, I mean, we, we, we just sit there every day with this governor and we're on a treadmill. 
businesses are just on a treadmill and they tell me that every single day and they never get ahead because there's no vitality in, in the economy that we have. 60% of the small businesses in Nevada are struggling today. I know that you probably won't tell people that. The media won't tell people that. Uh, the governor won't tell people that. The left won't tell people that. Hollywood won't tell people that. But these businesses are struggling and they're on a treadmill every day. The whole purpose of giving them relief, both individually and as businesses, is for this economy to grow. What are some other ways that you think you could be improving education in Nevada as governor? Yeah, yeah, well, first of all and foremost, don't shut the schools down. We have a governor today that half the time he's been governor, he's locked children out of their schools. Can you imagine any governor in any part time of history doing something like that? And now this governor wonders why second graders can't read, third graders can't write, fourth graders can't do arithmetic. We're supposed to be teaching division in fourth grade, but they never learn multiplication in third grade. I do believe you've got to break down the school district in Clark County. It's too big. I think you take a very complicated problem, break it down to a much less complicated problem, and that means producing probably four or five uh, smaller school districts uh, within that district. You have said again and again that you do not think the 2020 election was secure. Correct. What is your primary reason for believing that? I believe we have a rigged, we have a rigged system here in the state of Nevada, and that's all occurred since the last legislative session. When they said, okay, we're going to water down voter uh, ID, we're going, to, we're going to take a felony called ballot harvesting, and we're going to make it good government, and then we're going to do this vote by mail. And, and I don't know how many people you've talked to, but uh, if you live in an apartment complex, you probably received somewhere between five to ten ballots, because everybody who's lived there in the last ten years received a ballot at that address. I mean, we are, we are talking about a system that... You can't guarantee that whoever filled out that ballot is the person that they say they are. I mean, that's the system that we have in place now. I mean, it's like putting money in uh, a cash in an envelope. That's what we're doing. I mean, who does that anymore? And that's what, basically what we're doing with vote by mail. Do you believe that humans cause climate change? I'm not a climate change uh, denier. What do you think the state's role is in that? I mean, do you support this, the climate strategy and the the carbon emissions goals? I, I believe uh, the economy will get us there. I'm an all the above energy supporter, and that does include oil and gas. The most intense solar rays in the country is between Tonopah and Las Vegas, and that's why you're seeing so many solar uh, uh, parks set up in those particular areas, and I support it. I support it, and, uh, and I think the opportunity for this, for the state of Nevada, I think will create jobs, but I do not want to do it, I do not want to do it at the expense of economic growth because it's not mature enough to handle uh, what, we, what we currently have. So do you think carbon emissions targets that we have in place are, are appropriate? Um, yeah, sir, if, if they're reasonable. You know, if they're reasonable, um, I don't want it to be a drop-dead number to the point that uh, it shuts down the economy. Um, if that was going to be the case, obviously I would uh, push back uh, heavily against it. But having targets and say, okay, this is where we want to be, that's fine. That's fine. I, I, I can accept those kind of targets. And, and I think we have an obligation as a government entity to give those kind of incentives and, and to try to meet those kind of goals.
As more and more infants enter the foster care system in southern Nevada, Governor Steve Sisolak put out a tweet urging families to, quote, consider opening their hearts and homes for these young children who desperately need help, end quote. In all, there were 467 infants in the foster care system through early May, compared to 781 in all of 2020. Assistant Editor Jackie Valley is here to break down some of those numbers. Jackie, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Jacob? Doing well. So, Jackie, for someone who doesn't know, what is the foster care system in Nevada, and how is it set up? How does it work? Yeah, so um, the foster care system is the umbrella safety net that takes care of children who, for whatever reason, were pulled from their homes. So sometimes that is because of abuse or neglect. Other times it could be because of parents' drug use or incarceration. There are a number of factors that could lead to removing a child from a home for safety reasons. And so when that happens, the children can end up in foster care. Now, sometimes they'll be placed with relatives or fictive kin, such as good family friends or a neighbor, perhaps they're really close with. But there's another segment that does end up in county or state care under the guise of foster care. And so for those children, they're living in homes with oftentimes licensed foster care parents who are charged with taking care of them until hopefully someday they can be reunited with their biological parents. And so what we're seeing right now is that a lot of infants, uh, children under 12 months, are entering the foster care system in Southern Nevada. Through early May, as you said, it was like 467, which is on pace to far exceed what was the number in 2020. Okay, so with all that context, have there been proposed structural changes that could ease this burden on the system? I don't think there's been big structural changes. Uh, What the governor came out and said was, please help us, essentially. Uh, We have more babies coming in than normal, and we need more licensed foster care parents who can take them in and care for them. Now, what some advocates will tell you is that, okay, that's easy and nice to say, but the reality is... Licensing takes a while. It's a multi-step, sometimes even a multi-year process. And then on the flip side, there's concerns about pay. Typically, licensed foster parents receive about 700 per month per child. But given inflation and other economic factors right now, there's concern that that's really not enough and it may be a deterrent from people wanting to become foster parents. We're now going to hear a part of an interview done by CityCast Las Vegas, a podcast that we collaborate with. Host David Figler spoke with Kim Foster, a foster parent and foster care advocate, about the issue of a surge in infants in the foster care system in Southern Nevada. And just a quick note here before we get going, uh, Kim Foster has chickens and dogs, and you may hear some of that in the background as the recording goes along. I also want to talk about these reports uh, of a surge in babies that are entering the Clark County uh, foster care system. I mean, if this trend continues to the end of the year, we're going to have 40% more babies in the system than we did even last year. So correct. W- why do you think that is? So last night, I talked to a bunch of foster parents about this in preparation for this. And I was asking them why they think there are so many babies. And so this has not come from the government. This comes specifically from foster parents. So there's a few things. First, we think there's probably pandemic babies. So perhaps people were sequestered away and Uh, getting pregnant during the pandemic. We think there's also an issue, the regulations for taking children zero to 
12 months has changed. It requires pertussis and flu vaccines. And we suspect that there is a good portion of foster parents who maybe are anti-vax and are not, are, and so have moved out of the space of taking in kids zero to 12. And, um, and so they have moved their licensing from 12 months and up. So we think that is also an issue. What do you mean by licensing? So when you become a foster parent, the age range is newborn to 17. And so you get licensed for particular ages. So for instance, we didn't want babies. We wanted ages between four and 11. And that had to do with the ages of our biological children. And we just felt that that was like the thing that we could handle in our family. One of the conversations I had last night was with a foster parent who's also a teacher. Teachers are always on the ground. And she has seen what she considers to be like a kind of chaos and trauma that is coming from just being a part of the pandemic and for having people be really, really struggling during the pandemic. And so we're seeing an uptick in general in drug use, in domestic violence. I'm seeing personally lots of teens being kicked out of their homes. So I'm seeing like a general societal sort of chaos after coming out of this. And other people are seeing it as well. And talking to her last night made me feel like, oh, this is like a real thing. So we're starting to see these shifts where people are really struggling and there isn't help for the people who are struggling. Okay. So let's let's talk about the foster care system itself. What parts of the system maybe are broken? Oh, a lot of the system is broken. Um, okay, so I'll give you an example just from um, our experience. We had a young boy, he was four years old, and his mom had rented an apartment, or she thought she was renting an apartment, and she gave someone cash, and it turns out it was a scam. Mm-hmm. And she had given them all her cash, and she started living in the apartment. And of course, she was squatting, but didn't realize it. And the police came. And they put her in jail and took her son, and we got her son. She was a single mom. She was trying to make money to support her son, give him a better life. She had been in care herself. She didn't have a lot of resources in the community. So instead of there being an avenue in which we can help people who are trying to stay housed. This was not a person who was addicted to drugs, who was making terrible choices. She was actually just really struggling. And so she could have actually lost her son. And and for no real reason. I mean, and and look, and CPS handled this beautifully. They were very focused on getting her services and things like that. But what happens is when these families get in trouble with CPS, they end up having to do parenting classes and take like, so basically they not only have to manage being poor and struggling and trying to keep their lives together and a roof over their heads, but they now have things like, you know, the parenting classes they have to go to and different things that they have to achieve. And it really ramps up the pressure for them. Like it really makes things much harder. There's also this concept, right, that foster parents get paid money to take care of the kids during the gap, that, and that money isn't given to parents who are struggling, uh, which is crazy. A, an, an interesting subject as well. But wh- why do you think reunification isn't part of the, the priority from your perspective? We don't like poor people. 
Mm. For me, that sums up, I think there's, I think we think that if people are poor, that they, like, if they're not, if they don't have, like, a nice house with a nice lawn and a nice, and, like, everybody's dressed really perfectly and, and it looks it, like we can't handle the fact that there might be mental illness, addiction, disability, like there might be a ton of issues that are generational poverty, like all kinds of things that contribute to why families struggle. And if we just look at them and as middle class and upper class folks just say, you know, because a lot of the a lot of the people, the kids that end up getting adopted either through CPS or domestically, those moms are poor. They don't have a choice about whether they can take care of their baby or not. So your point about the foster care money is is spot on. If the money that we got to raise that boy whose mom was in jail, if she had gotten that money, she would have been able to stay housed or at least have a shot at housing. That was CityCast Las Vegas host David Figler talking with Kim Foster. If you want to hear their whole conversation, you can find that on the May 10th episode of CityCast Las Vegas. Make sure to check out all of their wonderful stories on all your podcast platforms. They have a fantastic newsletter that you should definitely check out. Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. We'd like to thank Nancy McCormick, Kenneth Chapman, Dean Heller, Elizabeth Thompson, Riley Snyder, Michelle Rundells, David Figler, Kim Foster, and Jackie Valley for being on the show this week. This show is produced and edited by Joey, with additional editing help from Jackie Valley, Michelle Rundells, and Riley Snyder. If you want to support the show, leave us a rating and review wherever you listened. Also, email us if you have any questions, comments, concerns, marshmallow toasting techniques for making the perfect summer s'more, or whatever else is on your mind. Our theme song is from the band People With Bodies, and we have additional music from Storyblocks and original music from Joey. Thank you for listening to Indie Matters. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm reporter and producer Jacob Solis. And we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>